Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the political comedy podcast that wonders, maybe if I shout all my sarcastic tweets out loud, that'll be what changes things. This is episode 158, I'm Tina and and yes, the podcast returns just as Prime Minister and buttock forced through a seaside-facing hole board, Boris Johnson, promises that he doesn't want a general election, meaning that by the time you hear this, he'll have called for one and said it's what he's always wanted. This comes days after he suspended Parliament, surprisingly not halfway down a zip wire with a crash helmet on. Instead, MPs will now have even less time to do anything about Brexit, and you have to wonder if maybe this is all Johnson's very clever plan to make sure that whatever happens, Northern Ireland will be entirely aligned with the rest of Britain, in that none of us will have a functioning Parliament. Get ready for Brexit is the new government PR slogan, in the way that an act at a festival might shout out for somebody make some noise, even though we're all aware that that's their job and what we've paid them to do. Get ready is very much the sort of slogan you'd expect to hear in a film seconds before battle starts or to prepare you for the destruction caused by a massive radioactive floppy head flesh brick that's about to trample your country. What were the discarded slogan choices? May the odds be ever in your favour? You'll never go in the water again? How exactly do we get ready for a no-deal Brexit? Well, skin stretched over a Darily Lunchables pack and Chancellor of the Duchy, Michael Gove, has said that everyone will have the food they need, which is reassuring to me as I'm already working on forging a note from my doctor saying that I need vast quantities of crisps and cake. What exactly does he mean, though? And how can we trust someone like Gove to understand what food people need when the Conservatives haven't had a clue what wages, benefits or general living standards people have needed since they took power in 2010? Based on their other policies, the food people need will likely amount to rations of an old shoe per person and a small plate of grubs. Which, to be fair, is what Michael Gove feeds on every day anyway before he tunnels back under the shed to sleep for the night. Gormless Bollard and Health Secretary Matt Hancock has asked that people don't stockpile food as it'll ruin the government's plans, which, judging by that comment, can only be to let so many people die of starvation that it'll ease pressure on the NHS and food supplies. So if we can't stockpile, but we have to get ready, then what are we meant to be doing? Developing our taste for human flesh by licking random strangers' knees? Building up your immune system by only washing your hands in the bin? Or maybe preparing to hunt for water by arming your kids with homemade shanks and a kettle and sending them in to the woods to see what they come back with. 
Of course, I'm only kidding. There's no need to panic, everyone. The new Prime Minister is only two months into his job, so shutting down Parliament, threatening to break the law and expelling all his own MPs is probably just teething problems. You know, of the kind you especially get when you're a massive man-baby. Johnson's government wrote to the Queen asking that they pro-rogue Parliament. Yes, there are many questions already. Is pro-rogue when you're in favour of someone like Boris? Or is it a common misspelling and involves making all MPs dine at a chain of French-themed cafes? And more importantly, wouldn't the Queen want to block any requests to reduce the time the people's representatives can represent them when dealing with such an important issue as Brexit? Yeah, Lizzie will stand up for the people, right? Thought everyone. I mean, who better than an unelected monarch from a long line of unelected monarchs? Similarly, I'm also sure that that giant leech will give back all that blood that was stolen. I'm certain of it. The Queen, of course, okayed the proroguing, as she has no power and is essentially the recipient of the world's most expensive gagging clause. As I record this, it's not clear just when Parliament will be shut down, but it's clear that with conference season planned, as usual, because nothing is more important than a brief period of everyone getting to preach to the converted, rather than not answering questions they don't like, that there will only be about five minutes to discuss Brexit before a no-deal swoops down from a great height and picks off all the fledgling dreams of being able to buy courgettes or have insulin. Johnson has insisted that this prorogation, which I think is the term, prorogation, prorogatory happenings, prorogogo, um, who knows? He's insisted that it's normal practice to prepare for a new Queen's speech for a new Parliament, that Boris says will invest in the NHS, deal with violent crime and cut the cost of living. The Queen's speech will do all of that. I mean, I doubt it, unless you're planning to play it at frequencies that will deter burglars, repeatedly play it to use as an anaesthetic in hospitals to save money on drugs, and show it on TV every day at dinner time so people are put off their food and eat less, saving money. It might be normal practice in normal times, but in a silly season that's never ended, or perhaps never begun, it's not at all normal, and it's definitely more likely that it just helps Johnson make sure that the UK will leave the EU on October 31st, do or die, which seemingly is going to just end in doing dying. And very few people are happy about it, with protests kicking off all over the country on the weekend in leave and remain voting areas, demanding to stop the coup, a phrase that sounds like a rewording of Catch the Pigeon, an apt comparison to what's happening as a dastardly and muttly man has ridiculous ideas to snatch at a flying rodent of an idea that is rapidly escaping from everyone. It's not just the public that Johnson has managed to unite, bringing them all together in thinking he's an arsehole. No, the Prime Minister's decisions are so bad that they've managed to cause opposition parties to work together. I know! I mean, that seemed only impossible weeks ago, as Liberal Democrat leader and someone who always looks like she's posing for a best-temp staff member of the week pick, Joe Swinson, was repeatedly warning of a caretaker government led by Labour leader and AWOL scribble Jeremy Corbyn, even though he's obviously the most qualified to be caretaker, being that he often looks like he'd mop the loose and make sure everything was locked up at the end of the day. The anti-No Deal coalition are here now, though, ready to present a legal challenge to stop No Deal, even though Michael Gove has suggested the government may not follow the rule of law if they don't like how it sounds. Which is ludicrous. A government that don't follow the rule of law? I can only imagine that that's a soundbite that Michael Gove thought up after submerging his head in a mountain of cocaine. But even Conservative MPs are turning against the Prime Minister and his pro-roguing, with Easter Island head in a suit David Gork joining in on the anti-no-deal team, especially after it was announced that Conservatives who vote against the government will be deselected. Yes, there's nothing like threatening calls for loyalty from a Prime Minister whose only sense of allegiance was limiting the amount of backstabbing critical articles he wrote about colleagues in The Telegraph to just single figures. As you hear this, there'll probably have been an emergency debate, which might possibly have led to a legal block on no deal or a vote of no confidence, or both, or none. Though no confidence definitely sums up the public mood about most things right now. 
All of it begs the question of why, if Boris really wants to end up with a no deal, he's left just enough time for it to be blocked. Is it a genius plan to lead an election where his strategy will be pointing out how the opposition blocked the tired, bored, diminished will of the people, as all the other parties think about saying how he blocked democracy, but instead attack each other like confused, frenzied rats at a spice party? Or is it because he's actually an idiot and can't count? Or is it actually all the plans of haunted, withered Bunsen Honeydew and special advisor to the Prime Minister, Dominic Cummings, who's apparently controlling it all like a mad Doc Brown, but who only wants certain aspects of society to go back in time? Questions have been raised about what is known as Cummings' reign of terror, also the title of a very grim porno, after he sacked an advisor to Chancellor and gobstopper mascot Sajid Javid without his knowledge, and then ordered an armed police officer to escort her off the premises. Though, to be fair, Javid has absolutely no right to be angry that someone was kicked out against their will. Cummings is apparently the one who planned the suspension and the threat to deselect Conservative MPs, and it appears that he may be the one who's really in charge at number 10, trying to run the party like the Mafia, but one whose only idea of family is getting a postcard from them sent to your boarding school while they're off skiing and they've spelt your name wrong and they don't quite remember who you are. So who knows where British politics will be this time next week, or even tomorrow, or probably as you listen to this in 10 minutes. Boris made a really boring, pointless speech outside number 10, so nice that he's keeping up his predecessor's tradition, and he was almost drowned out by booing crowds in a way that made me realise that that's definitely the only way to listen to him. Like when you hear a rough edit of a track and it's shit, but then all the instruments are added later and it just sounds right. In his speech, Johnson said that he didn't want an election, although in the other version of the speech he wrote, he said he did. But if the government lose the vote this week and a no deal is blocked, then he said he'll call one for six weeks' time, which would be around October the 14th. Ironically, World Standards Day, which is like a small joke from the gods of calendars. So is an election going to happen? That's one question. And then whether or not party lines would be drawn as usual for an election is another one, as that's quite uncertain. Perhaps the Conservatives will make a pact with the Brexit Party and reform as the party and maybe the alliance of no deal will stick together possibly only after an intense battle between themselves ending in them both making the same poorly written exposition reference like all their mothers being called Martha and then suddenly working together. What will their taglines be? Will the Conservatives move on their get ready slogan and just have a ah miss the boat sorry? Labour something along the lines of better late than never I suppose and the Lib Dems maybe but we were having such a nice time. Or maybe the government won't lose the no-confidence vote as it's very hard to say how many Conservative MPs will stand up to this threat as already six members of the Cabinet have completely U-turned on being against pro-roguing, something that they said was undemocratic but now just seems to be OK. I mean, it just goes to show how hard it is to trust their party on anything as similarly, over the years, they've said they'd keep the NHS safe, that they were good with the economy and that they definitely aren't lizard people. Or maybe aliens will land, demand to see our leader, and then when we point them at the Prime Minister, they'll all piss themselves laughing so hard that they accidentally wipe us out. Who knows? Well, you will probably before you even hear this, but as for me, right now, what I do know is that according to Boris Johnson, the options are either him, as he puts it, or Corbyn Chaos. And how do you make that call? I mean, should it be a man who's known for rugby tackling children, having rows with his partner that caused neighbours to call the police and constantly making racist comments, or a Raymond Briggs drawing holding a big courgette? Hmm, tricky. In other news, Scottish Kim Jong-un tribute act Ruth Davidson has resigned as leader of the Scottish Conservatives, meaning that it's possible we could be seeing the pandas at Edinburgh Zoo once again gaining a majority over them in the next election. Ghost of himself and former Prime Minister Tony Blair has warned Labour against having an election, saying that it would be an elephant trap. 
Odd choice of words to use a chess term when in this instance the Queen is completely useless. Jeremy Corbyn has of course ignored this warning and, despite all the anti-no-deal team plans, is still calling for a general election, saying that it's the people, not an unelected Prime Minister, who should determine the country's future. Although based on previous elections and politics so far, supposedly based on the people's decisions, it might be better if we just got robots to do it. The government has promised schools in England a massive cash boost because they want to win an election. And Johnson has said that we should not accept the idea that there can be winners or losers when it comes to children, but that's only because none of the former exist in any of his Brexit plans, or when he plays rugby against them. And if things weren't barking enough at number 10, the Prime Minister has brought a new rescue puppy to Downing Street. It seems very much that his idea of rescuing when it comes to animals or the country is somewhat flawed. We have no idea of the dog's name yet, but you can be certain that it responds to dog whistles. Yeah, school's back from the summer. That's the song, right? Of course it is. Don't look it up ever. It was totally sung by someone really focused on education. Um, anyway, uh, hey kids, it's nice to be here once again uh, of all these weeks. It's weird, isn't it, how I can look forward to and hate doing this all at once. Thanks, the news. Um, how was your summer break? Rain-filled and generally stressful? Oh, well, that's great to hear. You look very well, um, I guess. I've got no idea. I can't see your faces, but I'm assuming they are filled with joy listening to the return of my voice telling you that... Everything's still shit, potentially more so. You're welcome, and I'm proud to be that annoying flickering light that you can't fix in your life. Um, I'm very excited uh, about the podcast being that, and, you know, hating it at the same time, as my summer uh, mainly consisted of moments such as on Saturday thinking that I should be on the anti-pro-roguing demonstrations, uh, anti-roguing or piruging, as Minister for Being an Idiot Nadine Dorries tweeted, as though the PM is just pissing about on a small boat, something that I'd fully back if it happened during very stormy weather. Um, anyway, I'm meant to go on that uh, demonstration but instead spent nearly three hours attacking my freezer with a bread knife as you do um, was I trying to destroy the frozen heart of the Conservative Party slam no sadly I just couldn't get any peas uh, because it was a bit like Elsa had had a hissy fit or something um, still nothing more cathartic than shouting take that you fucking icy bastard while lobbing off a chunk of the Arctic away from some very old mini milks um, no I can't defrost it our rented flat is designed so that the plug for the fitted freezer is somehow behind the fitted freezer which is fitted uh, it's very much like the sort of brand new pair of scissors in a packet that you need scissors to open style design uh, anyway I bet with that sort of classic summer larks chat you're very very pleased that this podcast is back that's what you tune in for isn't it none of this politics shit I want to hear about what kitchen implement used to stab a freezer it turns out don't use a wooden spoon uh, it chips it terrible idea bread knife all the way not just for bread who knew who knew um Speaking of which, uh, thank you for coming back uh, to what will probably be several weeks, if not months, of podcasts where everything I record goes out of date before it even gets to your ears. Um, I'm aware this is going to arrive uh, in, in the podcast verse on the first day back at Parliament where everything could change or not at all. So if you're new to the show, firstly, thank you for joining. Um, please enjoy listening as either a memory of things uh, when they were less shit than they are now, or hopefully you're listening with a chuckle as you hear how it was all a big panic over nothing, as everything, it turns out, was saved in the nick of time by the rock fighting the prorogator uh, while hanging out of a helicopter or something. I don't know. Uh, it, it's all very confusing. Um, as these are turbulent times, I have decided that it would be right for a live podcast to happen. And so, on October the 29th at 2 North Down in King's Cross, I'm going to be hosting a live one of these shows as potentially something is happening that week or not. Uh, maybe weeks after a general election, it's not happening. Again, I've got no idea who actually knows what will happen on October the 29th um, very confused may just, maybe we'll just do a show about Halloween and it'll be lovely um, but I'm going to get some guest speakers and comedians I'm going to do some of the stuff you hear on this show but unfortunately for you you'll be able to see my stupid face as well as hear me I mean 
probably just putting you off, aren't I? Um, tickets should be up at 2northdown.com by the end of the week if you'd like to come along. Um, and that's number two, 2 North Down, not the spelled TW. Anyway, and there's only 76 seats, so I've been told grab them quick if you would like to come. Um, yes, I know it's in London. I'm very sorry, non-London types. I'm crap at just doing London things at the moment, partly due to the child. Um, but this is an experiment, and if it works, if there's demand, I'll definitely try to do some live podcasts in other places around the UK if the roads by that point aren't just solid stranded lorries and we have to travel by, I don't know, escaped alpaca leaping across the top of them all. I mean, if that is the case, I will give it a go. Uh, it sounds quite fun. Um, if you can't make the show but you do enjoy this weekly shouting, please do consider sponsoring it by donating to the ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro or patreon.com forward slash parpolbro sites, especially as now I really need the money to start stockpiling crisps with. Thank you. Um, if you can't do that, and let's face it, Patreon is in dollars, so it's going to be £12 per dollar the way things are going uh, with the current exchange rate, um, then please just review the show, especially on iTunes if you can, um, even if you don't use it. I've been told yet again over them summer holes that iTunes only really decide what to promote and get more listeners for by its nice reviews and subscriptions. So even if you just hit five stars and type, get ready, then that'll be very handy and much appreciated. And if you don't want to do any of that, please just tell other people that you know and like, or even like just a bit, but not loads, like you wouldn't hang out with them on a weekend, but you're okay with passing conversation without cringing. Even them, just tell them to tune in. Uh, before we crack on with this week's show, some very brief admin. Um, firstly, the kids politics show I do with Tatton from Simple Politics uh, got some Arts Council funding, which is very exciting. Um, and we have shows coming up at Jackson's Lane Theatre in Highgate on Sunday the 8th of September, the Arts Depot in Finchley on the 22nd, Hartford Theatre on the 28th and 29th, Birmingham Rep on the uh, October 26th, Dorchester Arts on the 2nd of November, Chew Valley Arts on the 8th of November, and Wardrobe Theatre in Bristol on the 9th of November. Um, and that show is suitable for kids aged 7 plus. Uh, it hasn't got any of the swears that this podcast has in it. Um, no, I have no idea how we're going to explain what's currently going on. So why not bring your children to come and see two grown men having uh, a breakdown? Um, also, I've got loads of gigs going on at the moment. Uh, other gigs, not kids ones, ones with swearing in and everything. So if you'd like to come to any, then please do check out my website at tnndweb.co.uk forward slash gigs and sign up to the mailing list too, that by the time you hear this, we'll have just sent an email out so you won't get one for like a month. So, I mean, it's great and you to sign up completely forgetting in a month's time. You'll be annoyed. Do it. Right, um, this week's show, let's crack on. Uh, so, I did actually do some stuff with my summer, one bit of which was uh, going to Hong Kong for a week to do kids' comedy in schools, with, I mean, the sort of timing that I'd fire my agent for if I currently had one. Um, it's terrible being self-employed and still having a shit boss. Um, luckily, but also frustratingly, um, I arrived sort of between protests in Hong Kong, and I didn't witness any, um, which was good safety-wise, but sad because I really wanted to show my support and shout ad oil uh, to everyone there um, but after I left some of the violence that happened was pretty scary so it might have been quite lucky overall um, but what I did get to do was interview protester and journalist Lee Cowboy in an interview that is now two weeks old and sadly things have escalated quite a lot there um, but it's still a fascinating listen as Lee tells what the protests have been like and why it's all kicking off uh, also a very scary personal story about getting tear gassed to have a listen um, also Brexit fallout returns this week as I try my best to tell you what might have already happened by the time you listen to this i mean what the fuck am i doing seriously why didn't i take a summer break till january um again feel free to use this week's show as a lesson in how to make an immediate history archive and next week i'll do an hour where i may as well just try to guess what will happen by using i don't know a divining rod and the position of the stars um here's this 
you've never been to Hong Kong before, it's a wonderful and also baffling place. I mean, while there's big towering bank buildings, expensive restaurants, terrible inequality, tax evasion, and at sometimes an unbearable humidity that made me sweat like a Roman fountain. I mean, there was one day I was walking along eating an apple so sweaty, I was scared someone would think I was a suckling pig. But while there's that bit of Hong Kong, there's also the markets, the mix of cultures that make it feel like a little hub of humanity, brilliant, wonderful people, beautiful sights, and some of the very best grub ever. It's not easy to explain, but it's sort of like a lot of places without really being like any of them. And that's partly because the Sino-British Joint Declaration that was put in place when British rule ended in 1997 meant that Hong Kong sort of had some of the best of both its parents and not at all all of the worst. But with a recent extradition bill proposed by the government, it suddenly meant that Hong Kong citizens that were arrested could be sent to mainland China and to a justice system that well, isn't much of a system and is more of a justice havoc, involving people that are detained never being heard from again, a lack of trials and capital punishment, which is a tad different to the more British-based justice system Hong Kong currently has. And needless to say, citizens obviously weren't happy and started to protest in quite large numbers, as you've probably heard on the news. This has led to unnecessarily violent police retaliation, which has led to more protests, including shutting down the airport just before I got there, blocking the main roads, peacefully filling Victoria Park, and protests from all people, including teachers and medical staff and children, and more violence and tear gassing and school children being searched and people vanishing from the subway and fires and more. Yet the people keep turning up to protest, defiant against the police, and depressingly, the not-really-elected governor and Maz Kanata from Star Wars lookalike, Carrie Lam, has only suspended the extradition bill and declared it dead, but not actually withdrawn it. Now, I've seen a lot of zombie films, and if something's dead but they're keeping it around, they're just waiting for it to return in an even more terrifying manner. No one knows what will happen, how this will resolve, how long protests will continue, if Lam will back down, if China will step in, or if the UK will step in and with Boris's PM sort of more tumbling and then say racially insensitive remarks, making it all worse. I was in Hong Kong in August for just under a week in what can only be known as incredible timing. Um, I arrived as the Victoria Park protests were happening um, in pretty much monsoon-like rain, but they were over an hour away from where I was. I was jet-lagged to crap and uh, sadly I couldn't make it. And then the Hong Kong Way protest happened just as I was leaving. However, I'm not quite as shit as uh, a political journalist as you might think. I mean, I am. But thankfully, while I was there, the one thing I did get to do, apart from witness some amazing uh, political artwork and sort of generally get a feel from things talking to people, um, I did also get to speak to Lee Kobai, formerly a travel writer and now, because of the protests, a political journalist and most importantly, an active protester. She kindly let me visit her flat in Hong Kong and told me all about why this is happening, what might happen next, just how awesome the protesters are and a pretty scary story about the first time she was tear gassed. Now, before we crack on, um, firstly, Lee wanted me to mention that she has lived all over the place, so has an unusual accent that I think is excellent. Um, but also, this interview took place on August the 22nd, and as I mentioned before, uh, since then, things have got worse in terms of police violence, protesters being arrested, um, and in fact, political artist Alexander Wong, aka Grandma Wong, who Lee mentions, has now worryingly been missing for several weeks, uh, which is very upsetting. Um, but I think everything Lee talks about is still very, very valid, um, probably even more so... Um, and as she mentions, it really feels like Hong Kong is on the cusp of, of massive change. It's uh, definitely, uh, this is a defining moment in its history. Um, oh, and a very quick before we start. Excuses, excuses. 
Because I recorded this on my little mic that fits in my suitcase, um, it's on one track, so I can't edit out all my stupid interruptions that I normally delete, That you you know, so you don't get annoyed with me. I'm afraid there's lots of shores and me interjecting when I shouldn't do. Sorry, but not that sorry. Um, my questions are a tad messy because of jet lag, and I partly melted from the heat. And every now and then there's background noise because it sounded like people outside were attacking an aircon unit. Who knows? Maybe they were just attacking a freezer with a bread knife. Anyway, Lee was brilliant, and it was an absolute pleasure talking to her. Do have a listen. I'm a beginner with all of this, uh, protest-wise. Um, seen it on the news in the UK, and I know that it all started in June. Um, it was in retaliation to prisoners being sent uh, extradited to China from Hong Kong. Um, but can you fill me in on if that's right? And also, it's, it's become more than that since, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it started as it was a proposal to introduce an extradition bill um, that would allow people to be sent from Hong Kong to China. Uh, China doesn't have a robust legal system. In fact, it's, you know, I think a lot of people would say it's a very dodgy legal system there. And um, so people didn't want that to happen. There's already been instances in Hong Kong before this law was introduced where people have been snatched from Hong Kong with right. it booksellers um, that were selling books that weren't available on the mainland were snatched out of Hong Kong and, and while they were on holiday and taken to China and disappeared under the system um, so the extradition bill just would have made that kind of thing easier and there's just like no legal comeback for anybody being sent to, to China That's really terrifying Yeah, it is terrifying of course and like, you know, countries um, don't extradite China because they have the death penalty and because they have a horrific human rights record. And people believe that Hong Kong's judicial system, which has always been very strong and based on laws that were left over from the British um, colonial period, um, that the judicial system is now starting to be influenced as well. So prior to the extradition bill there's been a slow erosion of people's rights there's been infringements by China into Hong Kong's um, separate status So, because I remember at the beginning of the protest they were calling for am I right, I, I'm probably going to get this wrong because I'm clearly on this, but they were calling for Carrie Lam to stand down so no, initially, the very first protest a million people came out at the beginning of June, and that was purely against the extradition bill. So that protest happened on the Sunday. Carrie Lam ignored uh, one million people on the streets. We have a population of just over seven million, so that's a significant it's amount of our yeah. population came out. She made no comment on it, ignored um, the, the march very peaceful march and uh, and on the Wednesday the 12th of June tried to read the bill in Legco which is our kind of parliament if you like because they were still going ahead with reading the bill around 100,000 people went down to Legco to just stage a setting Um, and I went along as well basically I just thought I'll just go along to provide a bit of support to the protesters um, that was the first instance of the police firing tear gas on the protesters. So I was there, just um, you know, a short distance from Ledgeco, not in the thick of it, outside a building called Chittick Terror. 
and um, yeah the people the crowd that was with me were all different ages again it just seemed like people that were coming down to show their support um, with the protesters that they didn't want this bill to be read because that would move it on to the next stage and uh, yeah in the early afternoon the police kettled us and fired massive amounts of tear gas into us and the crowd there was nowhere for us to go, so the crowd ended up pushing into Chetik Terror, breaking through the doors and ending up in the terror. So, I mean, I was tear-gassed over and over again. Uh, you know, it was a complete and utter shock to me. Um, I was raised in Hong Kong and, you know, I love the city. And it was just, yeah, I was, in, I was shocked, horrified, Stunned every every emotion you can imagine, terrified at times, um, just couldn't believe this was happening really in Hong Kong. Yeah, it yeah. was really scary. It was a complete overreaction from the police, and it was dangerous. You know, they were putting. I ended up in a tree, and I was uh, in this tree. Really? <laughs> <laughs> My God! Right. Yeah, there was yeah. some trees outside Chetik Terror, and um, as the police started to close in on us, the, the crowd was building up, and I thought, that looks like a safe place, so I got someone to boost me up into the tree, wedged myself in the, the trunk of it, and I was filming the riot police, I mean, there was sort of 200 riot police coming down the street towards us, and from the tree I could look behind me, and I could see there was riot police pushing in from the other side, and there was absolutely nowhere for us to go um, so then they started firing in the tear gas um, people, actually they were remarkably calm but they obviously wanted to get away from the effects mm. of the gas and everyone was pushing underneath me and underneath the tree so I stayed up there as long as I could thinking this is probably the safest place for now when I jumped down all my skin was burning I mean you think I had no real knowledge of tear gas before the Hong Kong protests. You think it just make it just makes you cry? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I always assume. Well, yeah. um, but actually, no. It starts burning all your skin, your arms. God. You feel it like burning inside your nostrils. Your lips start tingling, um, and I think and you're breathing in. It smells like oh, like bug spray and high karate. You yeah. know, it's like really terrible. A toxic taste in, in your mouth and I think your body just goes into panic because mm. you feel like you've been assaulted from everywhere Yeah. Um, so yeah I jumped out the tree and I ran across the street where I could just see some clear air and I had water in my bag which I brought with me to drink and I ended up spraying that all over my face and while I was doing that I could hear some young men shouting in Cantonese come here, come here and when I looked up, the riot police were all around me, so I just ran across the road, jumped a fence to where the, the protesters were calling me. And I can't really remember what happened next, but someone pulled me in a stairwell, and uh, I ended up in a stairwell, and it was eerily quiet then. It was just me and this protester. And he said, are you okay? And I said, yes. And he said, is it in your eyes? And I said, yes. And he had an eye wash, and he, he runs my eyes and said, okay, go upstairs. So I went upstairs inside Chetik Terror, and this is like an office block with a few right. small cafes and the and the bottom couple of floors, Starbucks and stuff there. And I thought, there's no way the riot police will come into a private building with a small mall in it. 
But yeah, the next thing they came through, like stormtroopers, and they were screaming at all these young people, pushing them around. They were incredibly aggressive. Um, yeah, and, and th- you know, things really just got worse after that. And um, the police, let's like say, was. I stood on the this walkways at Chetik Terror, I stood on there and I was just watching them fire round after round at uh, these young people below. It was absolutely horrifying. That's, that's, what. oh my God, that must have been so scary. That sounds awful. And I, I mean, this is, you, you've lived in, how, how long have you lived in Hong Kong for? I lived in Hong Kong as a child until right. I was 13. Um, and then I moved back to Asia six years ago. Right. So I'm a travel journalist. I'm kind of all over. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, like, this isn't something... It, like, I, I don't know enough uh, about Hong Kong police, but it, have, has there been incidents of brutality like this before? This feels like suddenly everything's escalated very quickly. Yeah, it, it did feel like a very brutal and violent response, and, uh, and I was surprised. I mean, tear gas was used, I think, once during the umbrella... Uh, movement when they protested in 2014. Mm. You know, I don't know if you remember, um, but it was used once then to disperse the crowd, but not in the kind of numbers that were used on June 12th uh, at 12th and, and thereafter. So I mean, since June 12th, there's now been 2,000 rounds of tear gas fired on Hong Kong people. And there's also seen uh, images of a woman who was hurt in the shot in the eye or something, and then other people yeah, being beaten, and there's some really nasty instances. Yeah, of, yeah, uh, there's a lot of horrible things going on, and yeah, the poor girl, that's, uh, she was a medic, she was a, there's a lot of, we have a bunch of volunteer first aiders that come out to every protest, and uh, a lot of them are off-duty paramedics, nurses and doctors that just want to make sure no one gets hurt. You know, they're trying to look after people on all sides. And, yeah, this poor young woman's been shot, and um, we still don't know how she's doing. Last I read she was in a coma, and they feared there may also be brain damage. So we haven't had um, a death yet, which is miraculous, really, but we do have more than a few people in critical condition in hospital. And how are they justifying it? Like, how do they... How do they well, know? this is the problem. They're just not. After June 12th, um, the government just, you know, condemned the protesters wholly and said that the police's actions were justified... Um, and then the following Sunday we had 2 million people come out and protest so that's when it started to morph from being about the extradition bill to also demanding an inquiry into police violence um, and demanding the resignation of Carrie Long so you know if you like they kind of brought this on themselves and at that point they could have said okay we'll have an independent investigation uh, but they didn't. The government have just backed the police to the hilt. But, but also, I think one, one of the things that I, I found remarkable, just from uh, sort of viewing this as an outside observer in the UK, is that the protesters seem to be so peaceful, and the attitude seems to be so united, and so many different groups of people coming together. Like, has there been any anything from the protesters that that could be seen by the government as justified for that level of brutality. Like, I, I haven't heard about any instance of violence from the protesters. No, so. certainly not. I mean, definitely not on June 12th. Like I say, I was there with people of all ages, every hmm. kind of demographic, and we were just, like, milling around outside, you know, nearby streets. 
protests that have followed, some young people have got, uh, have thrown bricks and half bottles of water. Um, but in comparison to what they're getting in return, it, you know, it just doesn't com- you know it doesn't compare. And the police tactics are yeah. Also, I suppose you probably argue that if police weren't being so brutal, you wouldn't have anyone retaliating. Exactly. I mean, the protesters, we've had, um, like in most countries, when we want to have a, a march, we ask for permission, we're given permission to do it from this place to this place, between this time and that time. And, yeah, people have been turning up for that. And then things have turned violent when the protesters have dug in at the end of the march. But their goal, they're not violent at all. I mean, they haven't vandalised shops or looted or any of the kind of things that you see in France or other countries. Um, Their point was just, let's dig in and make it as difficult as possible for the police to move us on. Um, but the police m- make no attempt other than just to bombard everyone with tear gas and pepper spray. Um, I, wanna, I, I, I want to ask you a lot more about protesters, actually, but before that, can you just explain, like, um, because is, is Hong Kong a democracy, or would you say it's a democracy before this China extradition bill? Because I've heard, again, someone tried to explain to me that a third of the government is Chinese elected and a third is companies. Is that right, or is that... You know, how does it work? Has it? We don't have democracy in Hong Kong. They've never had democracy in Hong Kong. And uh, the 2014 Umbrella Movement was a call for universal suffrage, which was promised to the people of Hong Kong under the Sino-British Joint Declaration. Um, While uh, all colonialism is bad, uh, and Hong Kongers should have been given the vote long, long before. Um, Britain handed it back to China. Under the British system, people had every other freedom. We've always had freedom of press here, freedom of expression, and it's these things that have, and a strong judicial system, you know, a, a rule of law, and it's these things that have made Hong Kong so special. So, is, am I right in thinking Carrie? Carrie Lam wasn't elected to a position as governor. That was, was no, she chosen she's by China elected. Or? Yeah, I mean, pretty much she's chosen by China. There's a committee of I think twelve people um, who have all been pre-selected, and they tend to be uh, business tycoons, property owners, and they have been selected by China. And those people pick the leader. Um, Hong Kongers can only we have some elections here, but only at local council level. Right. Right, so does that mean, like, does China have, you know, sort of talking about the, 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 the bill to extract people to China, China must have quite a hand in things that happen in Hong Kong. Well, they're not meant to. That right. is the part, that is the Sino-British Joint Declaration that for 50 years, from 1997 to 2047, uh, Hong Kong has a semi-autonomous status. And that's not meant to change. They're meant to have their own legal system and, um, yeah, non-interference from China and, and the politics. It's really interesting talking to you and being here in Hong Kong and finding out the real, like, the real side because, again, a lot of the news in the UK has just made it seem like there's riots everywhere all the time yeah. and it's terrifying. <laughs> no, and, it's amazing. You know, like, everything, because, like, we're so insanely efficient here, the day after the two million protests went right by my house, the next day you would never have known. There wasn't a bit of rubbish 
Um, the protesters are insanely tidy anyway. They set yeah. up recycling points along all the marches. and That's amazing. I mean, but it's, it's, I, I haven't seen, because I arrived sort of as the protests happening on Sunday, and then all week I think the most I've seen are some posters and stickers behind Admiralty Station and a bit of graffiti. Uh-huh. Otherwise I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have known, um, which is both... I don't know, I find it quite weird that I know this is going on and I haven't really witnessed it. Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, it's actually pretty easy to avoid. If, for example, if you were coming here as a tourist um, and the protesters, yeah, they have absolutely no problem with tourists. I know they've had their protests at the airport, but that's because they wanted to inform tourists about what's been going on. Yeah, which I think this is one of the things is back uh, sort of back in Britain. I know you were you were back in, in, in Scotland recently, but I don't know if you heard the same thing about people were saying, "Oh, China might invade," and, and yeah, and I'm hearing that and, a lot. Um. But I haven't heard it here. I haven't heard it since coming to Hong Kong. Everyone here's gone. No, they didn't. They've already got troops here, and they already do this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it, people say it because that's kind of what people's fear has been since you know even before handover times. A lot of people left Hong Kong because they were scared that one day Red China's tanks would roll down the city. But um, no, there's a lot of reasons why China are unlikely to do that. It's not. You can't rule it out, absolutely cannot rule it out. They are an authoritarian regime at the end of the day. But, yeah, they do have trips here. We have PLA garrisons in Hong Kong. You'd never see them in general. Um, Trips have moved onto Shenzhen, um, which is just across the border from Mm. Hong Kong, kind of popular shopping trip for a lot of people that come here to visit. Um, I don't think they would be letting us see all those trips unless they wanted us to know they were there, unless they wanted to scare Hong Kong people. Um, but yeah, the the economic consequences for China would be enormous if they did. And if PLA tanks came into Hong Kong, I mean, I don't think tanks would be likely anyway, just because of the size of our streets and things like that. But if they sent in hit squads or whatever... All of the capital that's in Hong Kong would flee immediately. Hong Kong is still needed by China to funnel a lot of its money um, into the international community. And, um, you yes. know, it could cause a, an economic recession in China. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is that, um, the things that people here have told me is that, A, Tiananmen Square for China was still such a big, you know, economic yes. kind of horror story that they wouldn't ever fi- exactly. fear repeating that. Exactly, it's 30 years and it's still a stain on their character. Mm. I mean, partly because they've never admitted and, you know, apologised for what happened. Mm. And, then, and then the other thing was, that, yeah, like you said, there's still so much financial capital here. And, yeah. And, uh, and it would be sort of financial economic suicide to, to destroy that. But that's what Hong Kong is still largely about, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, economics isn't my strong point and I know that the revenue that Hong Kong brings and China is a lot less than it was 20 mm. years ago but at the same time I also know that a lot of their money has to be funneled through Hong Kong and the reason it is funneled through Hong Kong is because we have stringent laws here and um, accountability which they just don't have in China Yeah, obviously I, I, have, I have no clue about economics much so I try but even just walking <laughs> around going that's a massive HSBC building you know those are things that you go this is clearly a banking <laughs> Yeah, there's no getting away from no, it here no. I mean, yeah like you, when I set up my bank account here I was like do you want to do stocks and shares like that's just a normal thing oh for like, normal people who do here
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And we'll be back with Lee in a minute, but first... Richard Moro! So much has changed about Brexit over the summer that you would not believe. I'm sure you haven't paid a blind bit of attention to any of it. And, you know, I'm pleased to say, uh, for example, that while you might think the fact the backstop is still an issue, that the EU won't budge on, the government wants to remove it, but don't have any alternatives for, it's all progressed because before there was a woman who constantly looked like she just witnessed a pig being churned through a combine harvester, and she was saying that. But now it's a man who's much more like the pig that somehow survived that combine harvester ordeal that's saying it instead. And you might think that because that same pig man promised there'd be a new better deal, but hasn't actually done anything or contacted anyone in the EU with any new ideas, that maybe things haven't happened or moved on, but they have, because now a no deal looks more likely, and if you pronounce that in a weird voice, it sounds like a new deal, doesn't it? New deal. New, no, new deal. See? Everything is basically okay. Of course, I jest. I jest like a rascally jest man. But in reality, uh, no one really knows what is going on. Nothing's really happened and no one really knows. Will there be a general election? I mean, Boris has said that he doesn't want one. But if the government loses the vote in Parliament this week, then there will be one in six weeks' time because it's not as if they're going to need that time for anything else. But Boris has also said that a chance of a deal is increasing. So maybe all the heading towards no deal is actually a bluff so that everyone ends up voting for the deal that's essentially the deal Theresa May pushed for and Boris Johnson voted for and then resigned over and then criticised and then backed. Or it's a genuine surge towards a no deal because Boris's American twin, the Tweedle cunt to his Tweedle twat, US President Donald Trump, would like to buy the UK to add to his ideal collection alongside, I don't know, Greenland and Legoland, which he thinks is a major brick exporter. 
What happens over this next week will very much determine that, with many other possibilities too, that we'll only ever understand when a super collider accesses all the parallel universes and we discover, I don't know, a Brexit that's in film noir style, one in manga style, and one that's a young African-American teenager in a wonderfully stylized animated format. <clears throat> so, here's a quick rundown of what might go on, or depending on when you hear this, has already happened or hasn't happened, in which case please do never email in and let me know. It's likely there'll be an emergency debate on Tuesday, which might involve an amendment to take over the parliamentary happenings, meaning Johnson would have to accept an EU extension if offered one, so that it wouldn't be October 31st do or die, just more don't and same as before, please. And Boris will probably say that he never said do or die anyway, and have to replace yet another pair of underwear due to all the scorch marks. If this passes, then it could be made illegal to go forward with a no deal without Parliament's consent, but if the government loses that vote, then it might be that Boris calls a general election for six weeks' time, as he knows he won't be able to pass anything and why is life so unfair and everyone's so mean to him when all he wants to do is execute criminals and insult Muslims. Either Parliament will accept an election, because if Corbyn doesn't, then he looks like a big cowardly lion face, but with a very weak mane going on. But there is a chance that they'll say, hang on, there's a fixed-term Parliament Act, so you can't actually do that. And then there won't be a general election, maybe until after the Brexit extension is pushed through. And I don't really understand how that will work, whatever you ask me. And I'm pretty sure that as soon as any MPs try and do that, Dominic Cummings will appear riding on a chariot pulled by three sad bulldogs, wearing a waste paper bin crown and trying to punch any MP who disagrees with him right in the face. The vote on Tuesday, though, might end up in a vote of no confidence. And if that's what happens, then there'll be 90 minutes of debate, which basically involve the government going, can you imagine how much worse it'd be if almost anyone ever was in charge, even a child or some roadkill, and everyone else saying, no, we'd much prefer those things to you, thanks. And then if a majority don't vote no confidence in the government, then the government win. Things stay as they are, ticking towards a no deal with a minority government propped up by the DUP, who are too busy scowling at kittens to do much else. If the government lose, then the Prime Minister is expected to resign. Thing is, the Prime Minister is also expected not to tell more porkies than a 1981 sex comedy, and to maybe, occasionally, actually believe in something other than his own self-importance. So I guess he'll probably stay, while insisting that actually you don't need a House majority to govern, he pinky swears. If the opposition, aka Jez Corbs, has a clear majority to govern, which he probably won't because everyone's convinced that if he does govern he'll turn Parliament into a gulag or something and PMQs will be replaced with a basket weaving hour, I don't know, then he'll ask the Queen for permission to form a new government, which she'll probably do is it's obvious she just doesn't give a fuck anymore and just wants to sit on a big chair and eat cake watching her husband drive cars into butlers while everyone leaves her alone. If Corbyn doesn't have a majority, then both him and Boris, or maybe not Boris, will get 14 days to seek a majority by promising favours and handies round the back of the Lords or something. And this bit has never happened before, but then neither is Brexit or a government who doesn't want to listen to the rule of law. So hey, it could be a nice, exciting bundle of firsties all round. After the 14 days, or during, whoever gets the most friends wins, and if they can't get any friends, then it's big-time general election, and Brenda from Bristol can have a lovely time as primetime BBC political commentator just exclaiming that it's all a bit silly. And if none of that happens, well then maybe Boris will wait till the very last minute and push the old deal again but with a new name and the backstop now called something like a rear halt. Or we'll have a no deal that if you've been on the gov.uk Brexit site, you'll know exactly how to prepare for. Have you done that? Have you done that? I'm fully prepared. I've filled in the form. And as a British citizen, it seems that I mostly have to not want to travel anywhere after October ever again. But if you're an EU citizen or from elsewhere, it's all a tad vague about what will happen and probably quite worrying. 
On the plus side, though, the government have rode back from their announcement that free movement would end on October the 31st, mainly because the Home Secretary, and woman best known for sitting by Jabba the Hutt and cackling a lot, Pretty Patel, announced it and then hadn't actually checked if it could happen without legal challenges. Turns out it can't. It's now been retracted. And the rest of everything? Well, Operation Yellowhammer was a document that was leaked in August and also sounds like a retro todger disease. And it details some of the concerns about a no-deal and what the government has actually prepared. Spoiler, it's lots, and they haven't. But as this bit is probably already out of date as you're hearing it, and it's turned out that Jeremy Corbyn unexpectedly challenged Boris to a dance-a-thon and whoever collapses after three weeks of solid doing the hustle loses, maybe don't worry just yet. Or if you're a big fan of taking a wheelbarrow of money to buy some bread, then don't get too excited. Because at the moment, anything could happen, or as the last three years has shown, not actually happen at all for ages. It's impossible to know whether the government's new slogan of get ready is actually advice to prepare for something or merely just an observation that we're forever in the starter position, nowhere near getting set or going anywhere. And now, back to Lee. But there's a lot of, uh, like, sort of the, the, the tactics from China do seem to be, there's been a lot of Facebook accounts and, to, and I know that social media's kind of clamped down on it. And has that been a big problem? Has that been really affecting things? Again, from an internet point of view, from being in the UK, it seems a problem because. But does it? You know, has has disinformation been a problem? In Hong yeah, Kong for I think it, yeah. it is definitely. It has been a problem, and it's just um, become a lot more obvious the last couple of months. I mean, they really ramped up the bots kind of thing. Um, I managed to like fly under the radar until just last week when someone sent me a message saying I was a cockroach and we're all going to die. Oh, God, that's terrible. Um, and they called me a cockroach because that's something the police have been calling the protesters here in Hong Kong. Right. Um, but my, yeah, I just, I've just blocked them. So I've had, I've had a few more similar messages like that, one saying that Hong Kongers should be treated the same as Uyghurs and we should harvest their organs and use oh their God. blood to give to proper Chinese people. It's insane, oh. creepy, creepy stuff. Yeah, that's really weird. There's not even an alternative point of view. That's kind of full-on extreme. <laughs> yeah, we that's will harvest your organs. Yeah, Jesus yeah, We hate you so much. Yeah. Well, why are they... I mean, one of the things I've found hard to understand is what because I, I I've been watching a lot of the, uh, the there was a fascinating video online about the different colours of all the protests and how the protests went from white t-shirts black t-shirts but now how pro-government are wearing white t-shirts how is there a pro-government march what is that to do with who are those people is that just those people always exist like I couldn't work out there well I mean I think there are uh, there's definitely a minority of people in Hong Kong that um, they want to Support the police and the government. I mean, you've got police families, um, older generations who think that everything's just going to go back to normal. It is never going back to normal. Now. Hong Kong has changed as a being. Um, but yeah, you know, they definitely exist. I think probably they've been reading a lot of the disinformation sure. that's out there. The same way you get like extreme Brexiters or, you know, mm. Trump supporters. They just, they just dig into their position, but they really are in a minority. And some of the protests, they've been bussed over from the mainland, from Guangzhou right. and Shenzhen. Um, yeah. That's so strange. That was also weird is that some of the, I think both, or, or again, what I've seen, and some of the protesters and the kind of pro-government protesters are, are pro, very pro-Trump. Or there's been a lot of US and UK flags. 
It's not so that. much that they're pro-Trump. Um, yeah, the flag thing's confused a lot of people outside Hong Kong. Yeah. So there's some people that have been flying the British flag. There's an elderly lady called Grandma Wong, right. who we all adore. And right. she was basically, you know, she's in her 60s. She was born in colonial Hong Kong. She has an affection for that time. She's really sweet, and she's out there on the front lines at every protest. You know, she's standing amongst these twenty-year-olds waving her big flag, and everyone's so sweet. They all come up and ask her if she's got water, and they bring her crackers and stuff like that. She's adorable. Um, yeah, and other people fly the British flag just to troll China, basically, because it drives them mental. Obviously. Yeah. Um, I think there's very few people that want Hong Kong to be British again. You know, they, that's not what they want. Hong Kong is its own place that has its own identity, and that's what they're working so hard to to keep. The American flags, on the other hand, I think people still see America, despite Trump, as um, you know the land of liberty, a place that um, values human rights. Um, so it's been a, a kind of call to that side of America. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, but there's some. Co- it's confusing for people at its age. Yes, yeah, really confusing, and I think also, especially in the light of the uh, Trump wanting to buy Greenland, and I've seen people going, "Buy Hong Kong!" I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this has gone very. Yeah, strange. they're yeah. deluded. I mean, there yeah. are a few deluded <laughs> protesters yeah, who think Trump's going to save them. Trump is only ever out for himself, but you know, there are people in uh, the U.S. Senate and Congress that have been really vocal. Nancy Pelosi has made some very strong comments as well. I think we just need a lot more international support, though. Right, so you don't think there's been... um, No, I think uh, people need to be a lot more vocal. I mean, Hong Kong won democracy, um, and that is what the Western world is meant to represent. And I really would like to see more Western countries coming out and condemning China and saying, yeah, we, we're going to put people and our values above money. Do you think Britain has done enough? Should it do more? I don't know, there's been some very weak-hearted statements from the Conservatives that yeah. sort of feel like, oh, I'd better say something. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's much. But then at the same time, is there a risk of kind of harkening back to colonial days? You know, I, I don't know. Do you think that's a delicate situation or are they just being... Well, I mean, the Sino-British Joint Declaration mm. is a legal document that is ratified in the United Nations. I don't know if ratified is the right word. Anyway, it's held at the United Nations and it's a legally binding document. So Britain have every right to speak up about it. Hong Kong need all the help they can get. So whatever their embarrassment about being an ex-colonial power, I think they have to put that aside and do the right thing. Um, yes, yeah, so as I was saying earlier, I think that the attitude protest has been so lovely. There's something so heartwarming and all the, even sort of from the point of view of social media, just some of the memes and even somebody put out a Cathay Pacific uh, new safety car the other day that had Yeah, it was stitches, great, wasn't it? Which yeah. is so funny, but it's so good nature considering the brutality that... Black humour as well, yeah. you know, Cathay Pacific crew are terrified at the moment. They're being doxxed, there's people going around taking their pictures and uploading it on the Chinese social media. And really? Yeah, it's like they're terrifying, like the employees have resigned or been sacked as um, yeah, China's just using thuggery, you know, a different kind of thuggery now to um, try and 
subdue the protesters in other ways. But yeah, you know, the, the Hong Kongers have kept a sense of humour through all of this. They are hilarious. Um, and I think it's so important that they do maintain a sense of humour about it all. But yeah, we have great memes. Our meme game is <laughs> on point. It's brilliant. And I saw um, someone tweet about a stall that was set up that's selling gas masks at a cheap price and helmet. You know, they'd almost sort of strategise the. Uh, um, uh, I don't know, like a marketing thing. I was, I was so yeah. impressed that somebody well, just got right actually, here with my boxes of stuff. And even though that's someone being entrepreneurial, what happens is protesters, myself included, you go and buy supplies and you just take them down. So, yeah, and um, supplies are starting to become scarce now. China sure. is trying to stop, uh, well, they, I think they have stopped sales of hard hearts and gas masks and things coming from China. It was it was the savviness of it. I think that impressed me. Oh, in yeah. such a short space of time, with with, with you know, um, which again is is something that I find remarkable. The fact that uh, I, I've been here, this, you know, just mainly in the weekdays, arrived on Sunday, leave on Friday, and lots of people said, "Oh, they won't protest in the week because they've got to go to work. They'll do it on the <laughs> weekends." I thought, you know, it's it, there's something amazing about the fact that they are absolutely protesting for for democracy and changing things but at the same time they're keeping to hours that everyone can do and they're yeah. working uh, you know so that it's safe for everyone and that it's peaceful and i just think it's sort of very admirable about that. oh most that yeah exactly and um we've heard, we have all different kinds of protests going on all the time which don't get onto the the world news but We've had protests um, led by lawyers, we've had a teacher's protest, we had an all-day pensioner's protest, which was just fantastic. Um, we were going to have a pet protest last week because we've had cats and dogs being tear-gassed oh, because they've been doing it in highly populated areas and it's coming in people's air conditioning systems. And then we have lots of lovely little shop cats in Hong Kong and the poor wee things have been tear-gassed. And we've had yeah. nurses, medics, accountants, um, all sectors of society have been out protesting. Manchester City Football Club were here a few weeks ago and people went and sang um, Can You Hear The People Sing right. at the stadium and outside the stadium. So there's little acts of rebellion going on constantly with the big protests focused around the weekends, when you, like you say, when people have more free time. And is it, is it, you said it's all sectors. I mean, one of the things I noticed about Hong Kong is that there really is quite a big divide and there's, there's some very, very wealthy people and yeah. there's some very not wealthy people at the opposite end of the spectrum and I know, uh, you know, that, that that's kind of how it works or doesn't work. I, but, but, but everyone, this has involved everyone. Oh, absolutely everyone, all ages, especially at the big marches. So, you know, the 2 million people march and the 1.7 million that happened a few days ago. There are pregnant ladies, eh? there are people pushing prams, there are pensioners, wheelchair users. Really, there's no one missing. They had one of the protests I was at, they had a big um, deaf contingent and they were all signing their protest slogans. It really has every sector of society. Yes, yeah, yeah. Goosebumps thinking about it, really. It's, it's fascinating. But it's, it's something that, I, again, you know... You, it's not comparable, but like things like, for example, Brexit, there's a big generational divide of Brexit, and yeah. there's all these sort of things. But this feels very much like the people versus the, the governance and the police. And, and it yeah. doesn't seem, from, from an outside point of view, it doesn't seem like there's factions of society that have gone, apart from maybe the few pro government protesters. But, yeah. Uh, 
it feels like people versus China versus. I mean, I think um, polls that I've read online, I don't know how accurate they are, but they seem to be suggesting about 80% of the Hong Kong population is that's crazy. totally behind this. I mean, that's, that's unheard of, isn't it, to have such a. Yeah, absolutely. And people have different views about how to go about it, different tactics, but um, overwhelmingly they want to remain united. So when we had the peaceful march on Sunday, a lot of the frontline protesters, you know, the ones that wear black and have the gas masks and things, they all came and stood with signs saying thank you for standing by us. That's amazing. Yeah. That's like, yeah wow. Um, and where, I mean, this is going to be ongoing. So, you know, what, what's, how does this end? Does the kind of Hong Kong government need to, they have to budge or, I mean... Where well, do you see this? Uh, you know, you're telling me about a protest that's happening. It'll be tomorrow. Obviously, by, listeners, by the time listeners hear this, it will have been a week or so ago. But there's another protest happening on the Friday. Yeah, tomorrow is uh, the Hong Kong Way, which is a homage to the Baltic Way, which happened 30 years ago. And uh, when two million people held hands across Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia, we're going to try and recreate it in Hong Kong. Um, we're going to do it across the island and across Kowloon side along two of our MTI subway lanes. Uh, there's other protests planned for Saturday and Sunday in areas where there's been triad attacks. Um, and, yeah, I just don't see it ending anytime soon. I mean, the government haven't budged at all. N- nothing has changed their mind so far. Beijing keep came, coming out and saying that they're back in the government and the police all the way. Um, so, yeah, it, it's really hard to know what might happen now. October 1st is National Day, which is uh, the anniversary of um, China becoming a republic. And it's the 70th anniversary this year, so this seems to be a, a point that, yeah, this, that could be a flashpoint. And, I mean, there's no sign of protesters getting weary. I mean, it's, it, this has been happening since June. No. I mean, and people are still... Uh, and it, I tell you, yeah. everyone's exhausted. Mm. It really it is be, yeah. absolutely exhausting. I mean, it's we have very hot summers here. You know, a lot yeah. of the protests, it's been the equivalent of 40 degrees, 90% humidity. Well, I can believe when I landed on Sunday and it was like monsoon, heavy rainfall, but somehow also boiling hot, and yet... That park was full. It was full, and actually, afterwards, there was so much rain that afterwards, people were posting pictures of their feet on social media because their feet had wrinkled and turned oh white God. Oh in, no. the, in the rain. And they still stood there for you know seven, eight hours. It takes a long time to move that many people a few miles. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, well, uh, and, and uh, I, I've got to ask because I know the phrase is add oil. What does that mean? Like, I've seen lots of people say add oil. Yeah, it's and that's great, isn't it? showing uh, so support, like, but I, I didn't know what it I've oh, got wow. um, Hong Kong people add oil manicure at the moment. That's incredible. Hong Kong Yan Gaiao, um, which, uh, yeah, it means keep going, you know, keep throwing fuel on the fire kind of thing, keep going. It's great. It's such a great phrase. It's such a great phrase. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, well, um, I mean, yeah, this is such an incredible thing. And, and I think you sort of said to me before we started recording that you, this is, it feels like a moment in history. It feels like something. Yeah, absolutely. Where things are going to check. I, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, but it we feels We really don't know what's going to yeah. happen, but uh, yeah, I do absolutely feel that this is going to be a momentous um, historical 
than uh, time and history. Yeah. And apart from yourself, obviously, who all listeners to check out on Twitter, and um, who would you recommend people follow, or where, where would they read? Because as I said, a lot of the information outside of Hong Kong is focused on things are violent, but not anything about what's happening or, or how yeah to, all the you know. fun day-to-day stuff that <laughs> yeah. goes on yeah um or i'd say hong kong free press should be your first stop that's the only independent newspaper in uh, hong kong truly independent um, news organization in hong kong just now um produced by hong kong people um for kind of on the ground commentary what it's like from a protester's point of view but in english language follow hong kong hermit He's very entertaining. He's known for his Hawaiian shirts. Um, there's, there's lots of great journalists out there to follow. Isabella Steger, who's Stegosaurus at, uh, on Twitter. Um, she's a Hong Konger. English language tweets as well. Really, you know, interesting asides to the protests. Um, Anthony Dapperin, he's a locally based journalist. Uh, lots of interesting insights from him all the time. And if you want something from a political scientist point of view, then there's Aureliano Buendia. <laughs> I might have to spell that one out for, um, for your listeners. But, yeah, there's a, I mean, I think if you start following any of them, you'll see the other people that they're retweeting as well, with, you know, politicians here as well that were involved in the Umbrella Movement were Joshua Wong, Nathan Law, Alex Cho... Mm. They're still very vocal about what's going on. Thanks so much to Lee for having time to chat with me and letting me visit a flat in Hong Kong to record it. It was much appreciated. Um, you can find Lee on Twitter at Lee L-double-E Kobai, which I think I've pronounced wrong. Uh, so it's Lee underscore C-O-B-A-J, where she's regularly posting about what's happening there right now. And things really have got worse since we spoke. Uh, it's quite upsetting with so many protesters going missing, including, uh, very sadly, as I mentioned, Grandma Wong. Um, and there has been a much larger escalation of violence from police against protesters too. It's really uncertain just how this will end. So do follow Lee and check out her website at leecobai.com um, for actual info. Uh, I've been following a lot of these tweeters since being there and it seems to be uh, a lot more kind of definitive and interesting and on the ground and real than uh, a lot of the news sites. Um, also check out a lot of the others that she recommends for English language updates on the Hong Kong protests, uh, particularly the Hong Kong Free Press, which are at Hong Kong FP on Twitter, uh, Hong Kong Hermit at Hong Kong Hermit, who I think is brilliant, uh, and Louisa Lim, also brilliant, uh, which is at at Lim Louisa on Twitter too. Um, all the others Lee mentions are great too for updates and factual reporting and links to them all will be on the website at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk ASAP. Um, I've got some interesting guests lined up for the next few weeks, but as always, I'd like to hear from you. Who do you want to hear from? And what would you like to hear about in these ever-turbulent times and tibulent tombs? Um, do you want more hopeful, positive chats? More talks to people in the thick of it all? More facts and in-depth stuff? Or just maybe more lovely accents for general ear-soothing? Um, tell me such recommendations, requests, and um, something else, beginning with Ari Recitals. Not that one. Um remakes no not that one look but tell me who you, you'd like me to chat to at the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk the at parpalbro twitter the partly political broadcast page on facebook or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com with the subject line get ready just so i know to take it seriously <laughs> 
And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Thanks for returning to the show despite the summer break. There'll now be no pauses uh, until I'm carted off by Dominic Cummings' Moon Soldiers for my traitorous talk. And even then, I'll at least try to record some stuff in etchings on my solitary confinement cell wall that can then be read out by Scarlett Johansson in the film of my life, where she also plays every other character, regardless of gender or ethnicity. Sorry, what I mean is, if you enjoyed the show, make sure that you subscribe, but also that you tell other people to pop their ear holes towards these sound blasts, review the show on whichever pod app you use that does review things, or one that you don't that does, and donate to the Kofi or Patreon sites if you so care to allow me to stockpile tomato ketchup flavoured crisps ready for October. They're probably the best. I don't care what you don't at me. Fuck you, don't at me. Um, big time thanks to Acast, where this pod does reside, to my brother The Last Skeptic for all the tunes, and he has new music out on all the music sites that you should go listen to right this second, and to Cat Day for all the linear liner notes every goddamn week, and also check her out on Twitter, at Chronicle Flask. Um, uh, this will be back next week, when concern over Dominic Cummings' health grows, after he has himself forcibly removed from number 10 by armed police, after accidentally calling himself and then hanging up halfway through the answer phone message, instead of just texting. Bye! This week's show is brought to you by Michael Gove's Guide to Eating What You Need, a collection of recipes to provide you with exactly the food you need and don't necessarily want, including one small tin of baked beans, cold. Fantastic recipes like mealworms, just mealworms. And have you tried drawing a picture of a cake on some paper and then eating it, but not all of it, you'll want to save some for next week. Michael Gove's Guide to Eating What You Need with a perfect hardcover for cutting lines on. Out now with rations, allowing one copy per five people. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.